be reading together um, Psalm 55, and then only a couple verses from Matthew chapter 6. First, hear God's own word in the book of Psalms, Psalm 55, beginning with a superscript in verse 1. To the chief musician on Neganoth, Mashil, a psalm of David. Give ear to my prayer, O God, and hide not thyself from my supplication. Attend unto me, and hear me. I mourn in my complaint, and make a noise, because of the voice of the enemy, because of the oppression of the wicked. For they cast iniquity upon me, and in wrath they hate me. My heart is sore pained within me, and the terrors of death are fallen upon me. Fearfulness and trembling are come upon me, and horror hath overwhelmed me. And I said, Oh, that I had wings like a dove, for then would I fly away and be at rest. Lo, then would I wander far off and remain in the wilderness, Selah. I would hasten mine escape from the windy storm and tempest, Destroy, O Lord, and divide their tongues, for I have seen violence and strife in the city. Day and night they go about it upon the walls thereof. Mischief also and sorrow are in the midst of it. Wickedness is in the midst thereof. Deceit and guile depart not from her streets. For it was not an enemy that reproached me. Then I could have borne it. Neither was it he that hated me that did magnify himself against me. Then I would have hid myself from him. But it was thou, a man, mine equal, my guide, and mine acquaintance. We took sweet counsel together and walked unto the house of God in company. Let death seize upon them, and let them go down quick into hell. For wickedness is in their dwellings and among them. As for me, I will call upon God, and the Lord shall save me. Evening. And morning and at noon will I pray and cry aloud, and he shall hear my voice. He hath delivered my soul in peace from the battle that was against me, for there were many with me. God shall hear and afflict them, even he that abideth of old, Selah. Because they have no changes, therefore they fear not God. He hath put forth his hands against such as be at peace with him. He hath broken his covenant. The words of his mouth were smoother than butter, but war was in his heart. His words were softer than oil, yet were they drawn swords. Cast thy burden upon the Lord, and he shall sustain thee. He shall never suffer the righteous to be moved. But thou, O God, shall bring them down into the pit of destruction. Bloody and deceitful men shall not live out half their days, but I will trust in Thee. Amen. And now we turn to Matthew, the Gospel according to Matthew, chapter 6. And I want to have before us again, a couple Sundays ago, we read these same verses in connection with our sermons on communion with God. And here the Lord Jesus in His Sermon on the Mount says this about prayer, 6, verse 5 and 6. 
And when thou prayest, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and in the corners of the streets, that they may be seen of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet, and when thou hast shut thy door, pray to thy Father which is in secret. And thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. And this is exactly what David was doing in Psalm 55. That was his secret prayer, his prayer before the Lord. He did write it down and it was inspired and so it became part of Scripture. And we are blessed to to have this prayer before us. But let us then... It was William Longstaff who was the hymn writer who in 1882 wrote this hymn, a very well-known hymn. I know even as I read this hymn, you may remember the tune in your mind. Take time to be holy. Speak oft with thy Lord. Abide in Him always and feed on His Word. Make friends of God's children, help those who are weak, forgetting in nothing His blessing to seek. Take time to be holy, the world rushes on, spend much time in secret with Jesus alone. By looking to Jesus like Him thou shalt be, thy friends in thy conduct, His likeness shall see. Take time to be holy. Let Him be thy guide. And run not before Him, whatever betide. In joy or in sorrow, still follow the Lord. And looking to Jesus, still trust in His Word. Take time to be holy. Be calm in thy soul. Each thought and each motive beneath His control. Thus led by His Spirit to fountains of love. Thou soon shalt be fitted for service above. Now this hymn, in many ways, summarizes what we have been looking into in our morning messages. The essential and blessed discipline of communion with God. We began looking at its importance and its delight Because more than anything, you must be convinced of its absolute central place in your Christian life so that you would desire this practice. Because you will simply not do what you do not desire to do. We touched on that. And from then... From there, we went to the means of communion. Last Lord's Day, we considered how to obtain this communion with God because it will not happen if you are not saved. It will not happen if you are not born again. There is absolutely no communion with God in the hearts of those who are rejecting God and the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's where communion begins. It begins with salvation. 
And then today we hope to consider the manner of communion with God. So last Lord's Day, how to obtain it. Today, how to maintain it. The beginning and now we see the continuing. The salvation having itself begun and now salvation being lived out. And both last Lord's Day and today, I did start with one point on the excellencies of communion with God. And I explained how that came out of a sermon from John Flavel, where in in his 11th sermon, in a group of 11 sermons, the very last one had 20 excellencies of communion with God. And I said that I would summarize them all and, and put them in a sheet. They are if either... If you haven't gotten them there, when you go out, just grab one on that back table in the narthex. I just summarized all of the 20. Last Lord's Day, I gave the first one. Today, I just want to give the second one in this first point. I just want to show you how it is very important that we as believers meditate on things like these. And if it takes 20 points to to show the blessedness, the delights, the excellencies of communion with God... um, then don't just read that list. Find that sermon. I can make copies of the sermon as well, and you can read all of them in more detail. I summarized them very little. Some of them I just made the, the, the main point because you kind of get the idea. But the second one that Flavel has in that list is that through communion with God, the soul, last time it was that the soul is fashioned in the image of God. The very second one is is a continuation of that. The communion with God is the beauty of the soul. Your soul has a beauty to it. And it will be more beautiful the more you commune with God. Your soul is spiritual. And the beauty of the soul is acquired through spiritual means. And this is what Flavel says. How heavenly, sweet, and desirable are the conversations and company of some men. How frothy, burdensome, and unprofitable is the company of others. It what makes and what makes the difference, but only this. The one walks in communion with God. The other is alienated from the life of God. The beauty of your soul will be measured by the communion you have with your God. That shows how excellent this discipline is. So secondly, our second point is the manner of communion with God. And I I rush to this one because we we hope to cover in this point um, um, eight points showing the manner of communion with God. This is not exhaustive. There are more things I could say. Um, I'm not even dealing with with prayer in in a general way and as a theme, but of course, prayer is part of how we commune with God. But I'm bringing certain principles of what your communion with God should look like, how it should be shaped, what should be part, an ingredient in your heart of your time in communing with God. And I will refer to the passages that we have read in Psalm 55 and then also what Jesus said in Matthew 6 so you can keep those somewhat open but many other parts of the Bible as well. Last Lord's Day I did start with this one to apply yourself to every means of grace. 
I ended there. I just gave one manner of communion with God that you and I should apply ourselves to every means of grace. And, and I just want to, to make this very clear, boys and girls. When I say means of grace, I am meaning everything that we do in a sense in communion with God. It is individual Family or corporate worship, those are means of grace. And the things we do in these moments are means of grace when they include our worship of God, our prayer to God, hymns that we sing to God or psalters. Reading the Word of God is a means of grace. Um, Partaking of the sacraments is a means of grace. Baptism and the Lord's Supper are means of grace. So depend upon these means of grace for your very lifeline. It is, it is not a coincidence that one of these means of grace, we literally eat and drink. And we are communicating with this very literally that if Jesus does not feed my soul, I die And it is true. If Jesus is not your Savior, you are dead spiritually. And when a physical death happens, you are going to incur in the eternal death spiritually. This is how serious this is. And so our life really does depend upon coming to church and hearing the Word and praying and singing because through these means, God is feeding you. If if you're not saved, He may feed you With salvation, once and for all. And once you are saved, you never stop needing this spiritual food. And and, and Christians who stay far from the means of grace, they look like dead people. They look like they're not saved. If you were to go to David when he was there planning to, to have Uriah dead, he did not look like a saved king in Israel. He looked like a pagan king, like all the other kings round about. Until he repented and until he communed with God and returned. He was, in a sense, living a life of spiritual deadness. See, it can even happen to a true believer. It's called backsliding. And when the believer remembers those days, he will, he will testify, I felt like I was dead. I was like in a stupor. I was like in a sleep of death. But God was gracious and plucked me out because I was His own. And so communion in God, yes, depend upon every means of grace. Now let me go on to the second one and new for, for, for this sermon. Meet with the Lord regularly. And, and all of what I'm saying is not just on your own. It is also here This is why I started with the first one, to make it clear that to apply to every means of grace. I'm not just talking about quiet time. I'm talking about the whole Christian experience. And here too, meet with the Lord regularly. Now this, of course, can apply to coming to church and be regular and coming to the services. Don't just see coming to church as, you know, whenever I can, whenever life is not in the way and I can make way and room for this, then I'll go. See, that's a heart that's not wanting communion with God. Meet with the Lord regularly. Now, I do apply this more particularly to your private time, your individual time. It would be 
like what Jesus is saying in Matthew 6. When thou prayest, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites. And what do they do? They, they like the public manifestation of it because that's all they're interested. They just want people to see how spiritual they are. And Jesus says they'll have their reward. You know, what that means is they want to be seen by men. Well, they will be seen by men. They will have a few people applauding them. They will have a few people saying, wow, they're amazing how they pray. That's all they get. But then Jesus says, but thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet. So he's obviously speaking about private time of communion. Meet with the Lord regularly. Come into his presence on purpose. Plan for it. Prepare for it. Make it happen. And, and here, in, in a lot of what I'll bring today is in one of the sermons of Thomas Goodwin. And he brings this thought of treating the Lord as your friend. Now, you and I know that friendships will not last if you have no desire to spend time with him or her who may be your friend. But not only one um, who is your friend, but your best friend. One with whom you desire to spend your time with. As we hear of Abraham in James 2.23, he was called the friend of God. And where was he called the friend of God? It was in Isaiah 41.8, one of the places it says, But thou, Israel, art my servant, Jacob, whom I have chosen, the seed of Abraham, my friend. Isn't it precious that God was calling Abraham my friend? We, we also hear in Second Chronicles 20, verse 7, where he is called God's friend forever. And it makes us think of Enoch. Um, in Genesis 5.22, we hear his friendship with God was so great that he was said to walk with God. And Enoch walked with God after he begat Methuselah 300 years and begat sons and daughters. And then this walk with God must have been so intimate and so precious. The Lord loved it so much that he wanted him to walk with him in heaven. And then we read that he was no more because God took him. Well, he's in heaven walking with God. Thomas Goodwin says communion with God about this, about communion with God. He says this, this is truly friendly. For friendship is most maintained and kept by visits. And these, the more free and less occasioned by urgent business or solemnity or custom, they are the more friendly they are. You may have that brother or sister, or friend, whom you go to because they are a doctor, or a dentist, or maybe an attorney, or maybe you know, they are someone who can give you informed decisions. And don't you find yourself thinking, I do need to ask him. Well, he, he loves me enough to not be sad about it, but I will have to start with an apology. I'm sorry I'm calling you only now, after a year, but I really need your help. Now, that conversation will not be a very, a very endearing and a very close conversation. It will be business. 
And this is what Thomas Goodwin was meaning. Don't, don't let it just be business. And in a way, you could say that when, when we come to church, well, it's, it's a little bit of business in the sense that, you know, it's a mandate. It's the Lord's Day. I have to come. See, this is what happens. If throughout the week you have no time of prayer with the Lord, but here you do, and then at, the, at the Sunday school you're called on to pray, and then you pray, and that might be your only prayer. Well, that will be like a business prayer. Then church is really like business because you're just here because you have to. But you see, if our lives already marked by morning and evening and throughout the day we're praying to the Lord, we get a book and read and we're hearing sermons and then we spend that one hour truly with the Lord alone. When you come to church, it will no longer be seen as business. You're not going to be doing it because you have to. It's just part of your life of communion. Because it's just one more moment where you are regular at communing with the Lord. And in Exodus 33, verse 11, we we read, And the Lord spoke unto Moses face to face, as a man speaks unto his friend. And then look what Thomas Goodwin says about this. He says, You see, the Scripture lodges this in the notion of friendship. Therefore, attempt, if thou hast not yet tried, this way of seeking God. Take my counsel. When the Spirit moves thee, go and stand in the presence chamber and see if he hold not out his golden scepter to thee. This shall prevail with him more than the sacrifice of rams. See, when Moses was there face to face, the Scripture says, speaking Unto as a man speaks unto his friend. So go this way to the Lord. Acknowledge him as a close friend. And act the friend. If you don't do it, um, you won't have that communion. I'm talking about regular communion, right? Let me, let me answer the question you might ask, well, how regularly should I pray? Let's do a little exercise, and let's go to Psalm chapter 3, the third Psalm, and notice there's, there's a freedom here. God's Word, remember I mentioned that in one of these messages, that God doesn't say you need four times a prescribed prayer, prescribed prayer a day. There is no such prescription because God is leaving to His friend's heart the desire of communing with Him. He wants it to be free. He wants it to be out of your heart. But look what we do notice in terms of a pattern. Psalm 3, in verse 4, we we understand this is a prayer of David. Verse 4, we see him crying. He says, Chapter 3, verse 4, I cried unto the Lord with my voice, and He heard me out of His holy selah. Now we know what time this was. Look at verse 5, I laid me down and slept. So that was an evening prayer. But then verse 5 says, I awaked, for the Lord sustained me. And then it says in verse 7, Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God, for Thou hast smitten all mine enemies. So he had an evening prayer. He went to sleep, and he awoke, and the prayer continues. So Psalm 3 is an evening prayer and a morning prayer. And then you go to chapter 4. It's another prayer of David. And at the closing in verse 7, we see what time it is. At what time he's praying this prayer. Look at Psalm 4 verse 7. Thou hast put gladness in my heart more than in the time that their corn and their wine increased. I will both lay me down in peace and sleep. For Thou, Lord, only makest me dwell in safety. This, this is an evening prayer. 
Look at Psalm 5. It's another prayer of David. Verse 1 and 2, we see it's a prayer. Look, give ear to my words, O Lord. Consider my meditation. Hearken unto the voice of my cry, my King and my God, for unto thee will I pray. And in verse 3, we see what time it is. My voice shalt thou hear in the morning, O Lord. In the morning will I direct my prayer unto thee and will look up. So you see verse chapter 3, it's an evening prayer, a morning prayer. Chapter 4, it's an evening prayer. Chapter 5, it's a waking up morning prayer. There's a pattern here. David, David prays morning and night. And in other Psalms, he does that too. Psalm 63, verse 1. David records another prayer, and and we read, O God, Thou art my God, early will I seek Thee. My soul thirsteth for Thee, my flesh longeth for Thee, in a dry and thirsty land where no water is. And then we read Psalm 55. And the reason I I chose Psalm 55, there, there are more reasons than just that verse. You saw that here David is in very great peril. Because he mentions that it's his companion, that it is his friend, one who took sweet counsel together and walked into the house of God in company, this is very likely the moment in which he was being pursued by his own son, Absalom. And then remember, Atophel had been his counselor, but now he he betrayed David and he was giving counsel to Absalom. And so... David is feeling distraught. He's feeling forsaken. He's been, he's been betrayed by his own familiar friend, by his own son, by his own personal counselor. So he needs to pray. And in verse 17, he says, Evening and morning and at noon will I pray and cry aloud, and he shall hear my voice. Now, you see, all of these verses, they're not prescriptive in the sense that is to say that you absolutely need to have a morning and a noon and an evening prayer. God's Word nowhere says that this is like a duty that has to be kept, period, or you are not communing. See, that's never what is actually being taught from Scripture and what I'm trying to portray. But I understand, I hope that you understand that the... The gist of the whole matter is that our hearts should truly have an intent and a desire to meet regularly with the Lord. Look what the Puritan Richard Sibbs says. He says, Oh, what a blessed thing it is for a Christian to keep a strict and near communion with the fountain of goodness who can do more for us than all the world besides. Be much in prayer. For this is not only a main part of this duty of drawing near to God, but it is a great help there too. God is near to all that call upon Him. For then are those most near to God when their understandings, affections, desires, trust, hope, faith are busied about God. And therefore, as Moses' face did shine with being in the presence of God, so those that are conversant in this duty of prayer have a luster cast upon their souls, the beauty of the soul, and their minds brought into a heavenly temper and made fit for anything that is divine. Meet with the Lord regularly, as with your best friend. And then number three. Meet with him eagerly. 
I'm just going in a sense to be building upon this regular meeting with the Lord. It has to be eagerly as well. We need to define this regular meeting. If you're going to meet with the Lord regularly, more in a mechanical way, remember, that is not communion with God. You would never dream to do that with a friend. That you just sit with Him and say, okay, I need to ask these questions. I need to answer yours. And that's our friendship. And then leave. I'll talk to you in the evening because to maintain our friendship, it has to be regular. No, it has to be eager. Look at what we read in God's Word. My soul thirsteth for thee. My flesh longeth for thee, we read in the Psalms. Um, The psalmist wanted to see God's power and glory. Remember the psalm we read, Psalm 27, 4. the, The one thing that King David desired, and it was to be in the house of the Lord, to contemplate the beauty of the Lord. That was his one desire. You know, we have desires, even legitimate ones. And he, he was, in essence, dying to all of those other desires and having, I just have one, and it is thee in thy presence. It is you, O Lord. Look at Psalm 63, 3. It says, because thy loving kindness is better than life, my lips shall praise thee. Beloved, can you imagine how it pleases the Lord if you come before Him and in your heart you have this intent and this desire and understanding my life depends on these few moments I have with Thee, O Lord. And how the Lord would be so pleased to lavish His favor upon such a friend. Because see, this is what happens between people. You are there showing such eagerness with this friend. And that friend catches that and immediately becomes eager in his or her friendship with you. If there's a holding back, there'll be a holding back. If your friend senses that you're not interested in spending time, well, he's going to also hold back and not spend time. If your friend senses that you don't want to go in a certain area to talk about things, well, well, he's not going to go in that certain area either. And if, if, if you understand that, if you're, if you're a girl and you're talking maybe, you want to talk about the boys that you're interested or thinking of a certain boy, well, that person's going to say, well, I'm not going to talk about my romantic life either. If it's going to be just school, it'll be just school. If it'll be medical, it'll be medical. If you go into the emotional, I'll go into the emotional. That's how relationships work. And that's why we read, draw near to God and He will draw near to you. Beloved, there's a whole book in the Bible that is a commentary on this reality and it is called the Song of Songs. And there seems to be there an, an affectionate, loving competition where the bride just excels in the things she says about her lover and the bridegroom just lavish. It's like he opens his heart of love for his bride. And that is portraying, beloved, not just the reality of of a man and a woman loving each other. That's not the only plane of that book. It is using that reality to show how lavish can be the communion between God and his own between a Christian and his Christ. The Puritans, they wrote entire treatises 
on the Song of Songs as this one commentary, especially when it shows the eager encounter of, of the believer expressed by the bride. So it's the church with her dear and loving Savior expressed as the bridegroom. So it's Christ with all his love and affection and hers after him. So you and I should read this book thinking, this, this is how I should love meeting with Christ. And this is his love for me as his bride. And then when you hear his love and how he lavishes, it gives you the desire to love him back. And this goes to our fourth point. So meet with him regularly, meet with him eagerly, and then fourth, tell him you love him. Have you ever done this? Have you ever in your prayer said, I love thee. I love you, my Savior. Thomas Goodwin says, Be telling him still how well thou lovest him. Labor to abound in expressions of that kind. And when you do, you will be like David, like in Psalm 18.1, I will love thee, O Lord, my strength. Remember how the author of Psalm 119 is often speaking of his love for God's law. Verse 97, O how love I thy law. It is my meditation all the day. Verse 163, I hate and abhor lying, but thy law do I love. It is a way of saying, I love the giver of the law that I love. Do you ever tell God that you love him? Remember how Jesus wanted to hear Peter say, I love you, three times. This is the lover wanting to hear from the one whom he loves that you also love him back. And isn't that the same in relationships? Someone that you love. So between spouse, can you imagine between a husband and wife, if there isn't this reciprocate way. If you say, I love you, and he says, oh, thank you. Well, I, I love you. I'm so thankful. I love you. The spouse is waiting to hear back. I love you too, my dear. I love you. Do not doubt it. But if you never say it, you doubt it. Do we say, I love you to God? Now, of course, he sees your heart. But if you don't say it, it's possibly that he doesn't see it in your heart. And that's why it's hard to say. Thomas Goodwin speaks of the love of God and of Jesus. Now, there's a, a love that is so pure and perfect. And he says this, He had a son to give away, and his son had a life and a kingdom, and both of them agreed to it. We have little to lose and can do no less for them. Beloved, there is no greater love than the love of the Father for the Son. And what did He chose to do? Give the Son to us. And then the Son had His life as a human, and He had a kingdom even before. And what did He do? He gave it on the cross. He died as a sacrifice. That's His gift of love to the believer. Do you say, I love you back? And Goodwin continues, Oh, yet let us love them and love to them and love to them and love to tell them so. 
Hast thou ever yet lain in those everlasting arms? Or when thou art any time dust, and his banner of love is spread over thee, what hath thy heart meditated concerning God at such times? As a liberal heart is said to devise liberal things, so a loving heart will devise loving things. And when you say love, of course, this brings us to the Song of Solomon itself. And you'll find there so many expressions of love, one for the other. And so meet with the Lord regularly. Meet with Him eagerly. Tell Him you love Him. And number five, I'm never repeating the first one um, because that was last Lord's Day, but that first one is to apply yourself to all the means of grace. So we are in number five. Reveal to Him all your secrets because that's what friends do don't keep anything back the very fact he knows them makes it where it's safe to do it but do you open your heart do you pour your heart out to God look at Deuteronomy 13 6 speaking of a friend it says as thine own soul That's how you're to speak with God. As someone who is near to you, someone whom you trust, someone whom you know will never betray you with that secret. And you can trust Him. This is what Hannah did when she prayed. Remember, 1 Samuel 1.15, I have poured out my soul before the Lord. This is what David did in 142.2 Psalm. He says, I poured out my complaint before Him. I showed before Him my trouble. If you look at the superscription of Psalm 102, it shows that Psalm 102 is a poured out prayer. It is a heart opening. Look at the superscription of Psalm 102. Um, A prayer of the afflicted when he is overwhelmed and poureth out his complaint before the Lord. And then comes Psalm 102. It it is the the, the Christian, it is the believer not keeping any secrets from God. And just sharing everything, giving his heart, trusting the one he's giving his heart to. That's, that's quite a friendship, right? Think of, think of your own friendships. Do you have a friend that this is what you do? You liberally say, I love you, and you liberally share everything. And you want to regularly and eagerly meet with him or with her. Now, one more thing. Sixthly, delight in him. Now, see, this is what's so wonderful about our relationships with God. In the human plane, you have to be careful. You can't share everything. Even when you do, there's a certain fear. You say, I love you to people. Some don't say they love you back. There's all these uncertainties and insecurities. You can delight in some friendships, but there are moments that you can't because they don't treat you quite like you would wish, and so the delight goes away. But beloved, this is what's so precious about communion with God. He'll never betray you with the secrets you tell. You have more than enough proof that He loves you, more than ever you could love Him back. Like we said, He gave His Son. And the Son gave His life. And the Father and the Son gave the Spirit. And the Spirit gives Himself to indwell you. And then He gives you love so that you can love Him back. Because love is a fruit of the Spirit. 
So delight in Him. So number six is delight in Him. See, there's never going to be a moment in which that delight is not impossible. Now, this is where the big test comes in, beloved. This is where some Christians have a difficulty in their communion with God in delight when affliction hits. When the test comes. When suffering is met. Now, there are two roads there that Christians take. There are some Christians, beloved, that they take the road of the cross. They take the road of Calvary. And in their suffering, they see their blessed Savior And they're given this privilege, beloved, because I believe suffering, there's a sacredness in terms of a privilege. The person who is suffering is in his or her own flesh, given to feel a little something of what Jesus felt on the cross eternally to save sinners. And when we hurt, we are feeling, we are experiencing what hurt is. Of whatever kind it may be, be it psychological, be it physical, be it chemical, Jesus felt all the hurt. And see, when Christians understand this and they say, my blessed Savior died for me, He gave, He took away, blessed be the name of the Lord, your communion will only grow the greater. You will love Him more. You will be more like Him. Because isn't this who Jesus is? He, he, he loved us even in suffering. And here will be someone in suffering loving Jesus all the more. That's who Jesus is. But we're, we're human flesh and, and we don't grasp that so well. And then the suffering takes the bigger tone upon us. And, and we're there then questioning God and in questioning Jesus. Well, He promised salvation. He promised relief. I'm, uh, it's hurting so much. I'm feeling so alone. Where is God? And these dear souls, we need to be patient. We need to love. We need to bring them to that road of the cross. It is the, the worst thing to do to say you're sinning. You're, you're, not, you're not looking to Jesus. We're just going to add to the pain. We can't be those friends of Job who were more like enemies and added to his suffering. Don't dare say that you know that that suffering is because of a certain sin if there's absolutely no connection that you can actually prove. You know, somebody who's in jail because he committed a crime, we don't need to go and now tell him, well, I told you. He understands that his sin bore a consequence. Now we need to love him to look to Christ in that imprisonment. And know that even there he can have communion with God if he looks to Christ in it and delight in Him. But there are many believers who do not delight because they're questioning God. They're, they're not understanding that suffering is actually promised. It's part of the packet of being in fallen humanity. There's some who suffer less, some who suffer more. And we need to be very respectful, very loving. It's very delicate. But when your heart is looking to the Lord, that suffering will turn into a blessing. And you will be able to see the Lord in it. You will be able to even experience the sufferings of Christ in it. That's what Paul says when he says, the fellowship of the sufferings of Christ. 
especially if that suffering comes, and this is in the most critical way, if it comes, if you're suffering because of persecution, if you're in jail or if you're beaten or something happened and you're suffering because of Christ, that's the apex of sharing in the sufferings of Christ. Christ even takes those beatings or being kicked out of job, whatever persecution it is, Jesus takes it as done unto him. And that's how close you are in fellowship with Christ in those sufferings. So with those thoughts and with those understandings, you can delight even in suffering. So delight in Him. And then seventhly, just two more real quickly, seek assurance of faith. The reason I bring this is because um, in reading that sermon of Thomas Goodwin, it is all about assurance of faith. That whole book that he's writing, Heaven on Earth, is about assurance of faith. And then he says this, Assurance of man's propriety in God raises him high in his fellowship with God. There are none that have such choice and sweet communion with God as those that have the clearest assurance of their interest in God. As may be seen through the whole book of song of Solomon's song, My beloved is mine, and I am his, saith the spouse. So the believer's assurance of his interest in God will exceedingly heighten and sweeten his communion and fellowship with God. Now, and this is how you should see it. Remember, we said that someone who's not saved cannot have communion with God. But someone might be saved and not know it. And that person also will have a hard time having communion with God. Because think of someone who cannot say, My beloved is mine and I am his. You, you read that and you feel like, Can I say it? Is he really mine? Am I really saved or not? You feel like you're still outside. If you're truly saved, you are inside. And so how precious it is to have that assurance. Now, God's Word doesn't say this, and I can't tell you, get assurance, just, just, just be assured. You don't have the power to do that, but you can go to the one who can give you that. I can say, seek after assurance. Because I have Scripture behind me. Look at Hebrews 10, 22. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. This is a heart that's seeking that assurance. He's not giving it to himself. We're not able to do it. But we can, we can draw nigh to the Lord. See, when you draw an eye, you're already with a certain assurance. You're already thinking, well, I think he'll receive me. I'm, I'm daring to come. There's already a faith. And that is a little bit of assurance. And as you draw near and near and you see his favor and you see him lavishing his love upon you, well, that assurance will grow. Also Hebrews 6, 11, and, and we desire that every one of you do show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope unto the end. See, a diligence to the full assurance. It is a heart that's seeking that assurance. Because you're thinking, well, God is gracious. God is good. Look at Esther. She dared come before her husband, the king, but because of the kingly prerogative, he could have executed her. But she kind of trusted that he would give the scepter, and he did. If Esther could trust that evil king, 
how much more can you and me trust our gracious, loving God? Now, I can say this with all certainty because of God's principles, the principles in God's Word. Any soul who dares approach the kingly throne of God pleading His mercy will receive it. The Bible doesn't give one example of a soul who dared to do it and God said, sorry, you're out. It doesn't exist. And there is no mandate saying, be careful in doing it because He may not receive you. No. When you think that way about God, it's because you're thinking that God could be like an Ahasuerus. You are, you are imputing upon God human views of authority. That is another God. That is a false God. When you believe in the true God, He is a God of mercy. He is a God of grace. He is a God of love. He is a God of compassionate. So you come and you plead His compassion. You plead His mercy. You plead His grace. And He'll extend it. And He'll give you the assurance. Or He will save you, if that's what you need to begin with. And the last one, so seek assurance of faith... The last one is seek holiness. I end with this one because there's, there's a circle here. The, the closer you are to the Lord, the more you'll be holy. And the more you're holy, the closer you'll be to the Lord. Communion with God will produce holiness. And holiness will produce communion with God. And this dynamic... We know and understand that without holiness, no man shall see the Lord. That's Hebrews twelve fourteen. So if without holiness, we cannot even be seen of God, how much less can we be communing with God here on earth? So beloved, if it is a sin that was committed, that is hampering this communion with God, there is a place to go. It is called Calvary. And there again, open your heart. Tell him all your secrets. Confess that sin. And he will receive you. And that is the renewing of communion. So you see, communion has a sanctifying effect. And the more you yearn for that sanctification, the closer you'll actually be to the Lord. And, and I end with this very thought in, Psalm, in Matthew 6. Jesus said... That when you enter into your closet and close the door and you pray to the Father which is in secret, it says, And thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. Well, what are all these rewards? I do believe this is the reward of communion with God. And the, and the key one, perhaps the crowning reward is this, as we've been hinting to. Is there a greater reward than that you will be holy you will have a beautiful soul. The image of God in you will become more like the original in heaven. People will even see you and say, are you a Christian? When you talk about Jesus, they will say, that's what I see in your life. You're evangelizing someone who's a complete stranger and perhaps by the words you choose, by the love in your very eyes, 
by perhaps the tear that you have because you're considering that this person in his sins will never have communion with God and your heart is going out for them and they sense your love for them in that conversation and they say, whatever message you have, I want to sit down and hear. That's the reward of communion with God. You will be like Jesus here on earth. And you and I agree that this world needs more of that light. May your heart be filled and warmed and delighted with this desire of communing with God. If you are lost, beloved, I pray that in all that you've been hearing, you may see that this is what your soul needs Communion in God is, with God is not an optional thing for the elite believer, for the holy believer. No, it is for every believer and every human. The fact that you, if you're not saved, the fact that not being saved does not mean you do not need communion with God. Every living human soul needs communion with his or her creator. That's how God created us to be, to commune with Him. We're the ones who fell in Adam and lack of communion began. But may you see that a God who desires communion is ready to give it because He's given His Son for sinners. If you come as a sinner and plead His mercy, communion will begin. So I haven't been preaching just for Christians it's for every soul but believers if you're a true believer do you see this privilege you can be this close to the Lord go home and read Song of Solomon through this week and plead Lord give me this kind of love for Jesus give me this kind of love for the Holy Spirit for God help me Lord to love you this way And you're going to notice it's going to be hard to say in your prayer and feel that it's very genuine, I love you, Lord. But I put this application, beloved. Spend every day of the week in your prayers at one moment or another telling God you love Him. You know how you go to ministries for couples and one of the first things we're told, tell your spouse you love Him. Tell your spouse you love her at least once a day, throughout the day. Because that is important. It's not just a box that we need to check. It's our heart that needs to be revealed. Let us love the Lord and tell Him. And keep no secrets. Tell Him regularly and eagerly. Seek assurance. Seek holiness. And may the Lord be exalted in being loved and praised by His own. Let us pray. Our gracious and glorious God, how we thank Thee that Thou art a God, Lord, who being almighty and holy and altogether other than us, Thou art a God who desires us to commune with Thee, so much so that in our lack of communion and because of sin, You sent Jesus 
to be our mediator, to be our sacrifice on the cross. Lord Jesus, we see that Thou desirest as well because Thou did come and agreed to be a sacrifice for our sins. And Thou, Holy Spirit, did agree to come and indwell the bodies of believers who who are still sinning, who still have indwelling sin, such an enemy and like a hell as it were. And yet Thy presence in our very hearts And we, thy temple, and we, Lord, are overwhelmed with such love. Help us, Lord, to love thee back. Lord, may every single one of us, our sons and daughters, our fathers and mothers, every young man and young woman in our congregation have a heart that would be like David's. This one thing that we would desire. Amidst all the good desires there are in our congregation, certainly the desire for married life or the desire of a degree or or the desire of a greater salary or of a good job or a new car or a new home, there are these desires, Lord. But we pray and plead that amongst them all, that they would all in a way disappear as for the psalmist and that we would have this one desire, to contemplate thy face, the beauty of thy countenance. countenance. And Lord, what a, what a joy to know we can delight in this relationship with no fear of wavering, with no fear that thou wilt betray us, with no fear of any malice. And Lord, for all of the afflictions that may come, help us never to take the road of doubt. Help us to never take the road of distrust. Help us, Lord, and give us the grace that we need. We, we are so weak, Lord, and we know how hard it is. But give us the grace to understand that even in those afflictions, even in the suffering of our flesh or of our heart, of our soul, that Thou art still with us. And even through that, making us and giving us to see Thee better. Help us, Lord, to commune with Thee. And we pray in Jesus' holy name. Amen.